Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, June 24th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Bonjour de Jean-Baptiste. I said bonjour. I meant good day. It is St. Jean the Baptist Day or Jean Baptiste Day in Montreal as uh, we prepare for game six and the city's electric, man. The Habs jerseys, the shouting, it's, you can really feel it in the air. I, I gotta say, as salty as us Leafs fans are, I'll take being in the city of an NHL team that might be about to go to the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, I, it's it's different in Canada, right, too, where that energy is just extra special when it's happening north of the border. Hockey is kind of our thing. Um, when the Raptors went on their run, the city of Toronto was alive and hopping. It was quite the awesome summer. The <clears> city of already, Montreal as well. It was yeah, all over Canada. So yeah, it would be a little different here. but Yeah, but my thought during that time was, because you, you generally think that the Raptors crowd is a little bit younger, um, a little bit more diverse, but you also think like the Leafs are a sleeping giant in this city. Um, and it rarely happens where we get to see them out in full force. But I always wonder what it would be like if the Leafs one day have similar playoff success as Montreal's experience right now. And I, I guess we're kind of getting that answer, right? Because Montreal, Toronto, I feel like similar clientele when it comes to the fans that cheer for the team you've got that older less diverse crowd but then you do have this new generation of younger fans where the Leafs last couple of years haven't pushed through that barrier but have experienced some more success they have more marketable stars and now Montreal is having this great run with a great group of younger players um, that they can start to market and so I guess what I'm getting to is what you think Toronto would look like during a Leafs run is kind of what's happening in Montreal right now and uh, like I said, I've moved on from the Leaf season and I'm happy to see that Montreal is alive and well. Again, not cheering for them, but not bummed out if, if they keep having their success. Yeah, the Leafs a sleeping giant that manages to sell out all their season tickets, like yeah. every seat of every game gross the second highest revenue in the NHL and sell out every time they play in what Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal. So it's not even that hard to imagine. <laughs> It's, it's a conversation for another day, but that could be in part reason why you've seen such little uh, success from the Leafs is just there's a bunch of fat cats up there in ownership that know no matter what, they're going to make money. So maybe we shouldn't be lining their pockets year after year if it's a bad product. But we'll save that conversation for another day. Today, we will focus on the sports that have happened over the last few days and what's coming up tonight. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit of Euro to kick off the show. Then we've got combat corner, uh, basketball, baseball, hockey, uh, lots to run through in not a lot of time before this Montreal game kicks off. Uh, and we'll hopefully be able to jump back on and time travel a bit and, and talk about it when it's over, uh, unless it goes into some deeper overtimes, then you may just hear Max's voice as I have to go to bed at a reasonable hour. <laughs> But we will start at the Euro Cup, uh, and the group stage has officially been wrapped up. The knockout stage will begin on Saturday, so I just wanted to run through my notes here quickly of what we saw in that last round of games uh, in the third kind of group of games of the group stage. And the first one that really like jumped out at me was Russia 
absolutely collapses. They were in a good spot going into their final match against Denmark and they fall apart. There's a brutal giveaway that led to a Denmark goal and Denmark scores another time. They squeak in after they lost their first two games in the group. They only have to win one and they jump Russia into the number two spot just based on goal differential and the result of that match. Um, it's a huge victory for them. A lot of people had them picked as a dark horse coming into the tournament to maybe make a bit of noise. And then, of course, what happened with Christian Eriksen really was a setback for them. But they get this big win. They get to move into the next round. And who knows? Maybe this will give them the momentum that they need going forward into the knockout stage. So from Group B, it is Belgium as the number one seed and then Denmark going to, through as the number two. In Group C, we've got Austria beating Ukraine in, in that match to grab the second spot. Ukraine actually manages to snag one of those four third place spots there through as well as a third seed. And then the Netherlands dominating Group C will be the top seed going through there. England and Croatia are through from Group D. Um, England had a poor result against Scotland, but then they came out and played very well in their final match uh, against Czech Republic. And then Spain in uh, Group E had two very shocking ties, and then they finally managed to get it together, and they absolutely thump Slovakia 5-0 in order to uh, lock up the two seed. But Sweden uh, actually beat Poland and finished in the number one spot in Group E. So Sweden will have a, a pretty nice bracket on their side for winning that group. And then finally, I wanted to kind of walk through the wild afternoon that I experienced on Tuesday watching Group F because it was just two thrilling, thrilling matches. Uh, Portugal and France. Portugal came out with that desperation that they know if they lost that game, it actually could be possible that they would finish last in the group or not, or at the very minimum, not have enough points in that third place spot to get through. So they were desperate. They needed at least a tie to get in. And so they came out with desperation. They scored on a Ronaldo penalty. Um, it was a questionable penalty call where the goalkeeper did get ball first and then ran into the uh, opponent, opposing striker. But Ronaldo gets actually two penalties in this game, one of which in the second half. Uh, France was out of this match until the very end of the first half. They get a free kick. Mbappe gets taken down inside the box. Another questionable penalty call. Uh, but Benzema puts it away, ties it right before the half. France gets the early one in the second half and Portugal equalizes. And from there, they kind of just played it out, both content to take the tie, especially with the absolute chaos that was happening in the other game between Hungary and Germany. Hungary was up one at half on a great play. Uh, Shalai finishing it off. It was a wonderful play from Hungary. And, and it looked like for a long time in Munich, that Germany was about to lose this game and drop out of the group and not make it into the knockout stage, which would have been an unbelievable uh, upset. But Germany fights back, equalizes, Hungary scores again, and then Germany ties it up again late with about 10 minutes to go, uh, and they settle for the draw, and, and they move on through. So uh, three, of the, three of the top three teams from that group of death actually all end up getting through. Uh, which is probably the best result any of them could hope for in, in a group that tough. And Hungary sure as heck put up a fight, despite being the clear, clear 
underdog that everyone had picked to finish last, they gave a couple of those teams a good scare. So shout out to Hungary for their effort. But the knockout stage is set. So Max, I want to run really quick through here. Um, I'm going to just let you pick <laughs> the knockout stage because I know you've been following very intently. <laughs> yes. All right. Our first match set to go uh, noon Eastern time on Saturday, Wales and Wales. Denmark. Nice. <laughs> Gareth Bale leading, leading the Welsh on. Uh, Italy, Austria. Italy. All right. Netherlands, Czech Republic. Netherlands. Belgium, Portugal. This is the this is the marquee matchup. Man, what time is that on? I believe it's on Sunday afternoon. I'm guessing three o'clock on Sunday. All right. Well, I might be watching Belgium win that. Oh, this is. I think this is the last of the this kind of current golden era for the Belgian team. So this is their last opportunity to really make a run here. That'd be a huge game. Uh, Croatia, Spain. Go Croatia. Nice, nice. I like it. France, Switzerland. France. And the other marquee matchup, England, Germany. Ooh. This is a tough one. It, it, I mean, it is. We, we've got, like, I'm still rattled at England here <laughs> for uh, being in a group that Scotland didn't advance in. But I think I'm closer to England than Germany. So, yeah, ultimately that takes it, uh, England. That would be a big one for them because if they can get through Germany, their side of the bracket looks a little bit weaker than the other side. Uh, and then the final match there is Sweden and Ukraine, the battle of the blue and yellow. True, true. And Sweden. All right. So there you have it. Congrats to all those teams to moving on in the knockout stage. Looking forward to the next round. All right, Max. Uh, thank you for making those picks. I'm going to throw it back on you now to talk a little bit of combat corner. Yeah, speaking of knockouts, we've got a heavyweight matchup headlining this UFC event between Alexander Volkov and Cyril Gaon. And I'm going to say it right off the bat, this fight is for the number one contender position at heavyweight. Whoever wins this fight should get a title shot. I, I know Derek Lewis is scheduled to fight next. I know Stipe's in there, and I'm very intrigued what a trilogy with Nganu looks like if he puts on mass, as I believe he wants to. But bracket all that aside, these are two of the most interesting striking contenders in the heavyweight division. Both been on a bit of a tear recently, and I love this matchup so much, and maybe it's just because of how much I love it that I want to see the winner get a title shot. But nonetheless, I think the winner will be on a winning streak, will have cleared through the top of the division, and there's nowhere left to go but fight for the belt after you win a matchup like this. Because in their last couple of fight wins, both fighters have been near flawless offensively and defensively, defensively for certain, maybe you can nitpick a little at Cyril Gon's offense, but that's what happens when you're a really, really solid defensive fighter and you're fighting guys who can knock you out if you screw up for half a second. Just ask Alexander Volkov about how that goes uh, when he fought Curtis Blades, excuse me, not Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis. So this fight... I feel like it's going to really be won or lost by who can walk the other guy and put their back against the cage the most. 
that's where each fighter does their best work. I think Volkov has had a little more success landing heavy out in the open, though you could maybe argue Alistair Overeem at 40 plus isn't the best test of that and that Gon would have done similar. Regardless, I think just whoever is able to get the other guy backing up more and move forward is going to win because that's what each fighter has been doing in their last couple of wins. With Volkov, you had against Walt Harris and Alistair Overeem. The Overeem fight was just a bulldozing, like steamrolled over him, walked forward, through as soon as he got to the center of the cage and never really took a step back, never stopped throwing. And it was just a matter of connecting with the right shot and staying patient enough. And you saw a lot of really great things from Volkov. The cage cutting was phenomenal. Uh, no, I don't want to make it sound too easy or put too much disrespect on the name of Alistair Overeem because not that many months before he fought a very similar style of fight to get a win over Augusto Sakai. But the shelling, the patience, all those things really hurt Overeem because Volkov was happy to walk forward, throw. The one-two for him was landing all night, and it was just a matter of finding the right one. The Harris fight, probably a little more competitive, but similarly flawless victory, also a second-round finish. What Volkov's size is just such a huge advantage in that he can figure out a range where you can't hit him and he can hit you. And once he finds that range, it's just about staying there, moving forward, threatening with it, keeping the opponent backing up when they try and escape back to the circle, cutting off the cage. And he does all that really, really well. His huge frame I mentioned, because these two actually, I think have the same reach. It's really hard to know until you see them in the cage. The UFC has screwed up their reach plenty of times before. So I'm not entirely certain on this, but I can be reasonably sure that Volkov's legs at 6'7 will be longer than the 6'4 Cyril Gons. And I think that's going to be huge. He uses the leg kick really well to, if a fighter's trying to escape on an angle, to take them off that he also throws a lot of front kicks you saw that one to the body set up the finish against walt harris i'm really curious how that's going to work out because Cyril gun very muay thai based karate style where he stands very vertical to the opponent same as a wonder boy or a conor mcgregor and that allows for really quick vertical movement but can slow down the lateral movement a bit so if he gets the straight shots of Volkov, if he can set them up, are going to land heavy if Gan isn't careful about his footwork. But you can't say that that's what you expect because he's been incredibly careful every second of his career inside the UFC octagon thus far. And like I said at the beginning, defensively flawless, really. There hasn't been a moment where you've thought he's in trouble thus far uh he it really what it is is 
he is more mobile than his opponents and has a reach advantage over his opponents. So likewise to Volkov, he finds that he's always at a point where he can hit his opponents, but his opponents can't really hit him. It's a lot more mobility than size when you look at how he does that. The switching stances, uh, he will like adjust his footwork to move laterally, popping in and out with a jab a lot, left hand and right hand, all of that especially the southpaw jab, I feel like could really get him into trouble against Volkov. But he was able to dart in and out against Rosenstrike, who has, I'd say, much scarier one-punch knockout power than Volkov, especially a lot of counter hooks he'll throw. So he showed phenomenal timing in knowing when he can dart in and out on that jab. But I think... I'm going with Volkov on this one. And the reason I think that is Volkov isn't that one-punch knockout artist that Rosenstrike is. He has to chain together his knockouts with like cumulative blows. So he's a lot more comfortable throwing the one to missing and finding a way to keep pressing forward and keep chaining strikes together to try and get his opponent into a worse position. Whereas with Rosenstrike, it's a lot bit been a lot more in his knockouts about that just athletic explosion and the opponent does has no idea what hit them so i see gan coming out trying to come forward testing with the jab volkov not really moving back that's what you saw against walt harris he lets his head movement get him out of trouble so he can stay in range to throw and then get his opponent moving back. And once they start moving back, he walks them forward. I think Drago is an awesome nickname for that style. The one-twos chain together, the front kicks, the leg kicks, mix it up really well. Once the opponent's back against the cage, the one-twos come nonstop. If if Gan was going to win this, it would be... I think off a counter, off a sloppy one-two, I I think he'll mostly be moving uh, vertically, but like a quick lateral explosion inside, outside on a sloppy one-two from Volkov could give Gon a really good counter opportunity. I'm really curious what the reach advantage looks like. I don't think the stats the UFC gives really ever give you a good sense of what that's going to be. Volkov a giant though so you know just size wise he's going to be bigger but a fight that will probably start slow and then I think it's going to be how does Volkov set the pace because Gon stays pretty consistent it's like I said at the start whoever's moving forward is almost certainly who's going to win this fight barring a one shot knockout and looking at their last couple fights seeing that gone hasn't had to deal with anyone who's got a bigger reach than him seeing how good volkov has been at cage cutting again gone hasn't had to deal with dos santos rosenstrike those aren't experts in like slowly setting up the cage cutting to trap you against he hasn't really had to deal with his back against the fence he shows great awareness and not letting it get there but it's been a better checkers 
a chess player against checkers players so far and i think he's going up against a chess master this time so i've got alexander volkov by knockout at some point i'm gonna say third round looking forward to this ufc main event Sports Next Door here, me, Max, with me, Owen. Time for our basketball storylines, and we are going to kick off talking about the LA Clippers-Phoenix Suns Game 2. I didn't catch what might have been one of the craziest endings to a game in modern basketball history because of the state of modern basketball. I was watching the last two minutes of Clippers-Suns, call after call multiple ones that they went to video replay on i had my own opinion on each of them they didn't go the way that opinion was but it just dragged it out it got to a point where i was almost certain the clippers were gonna win but just couldn't stand another five seven minutes of video replay and timeouts shut off my laptop wrote This is everything I hate about basketball. I don't even care who wins. (laughs) Being like 99% sure the Clippers were going to win it. And then, wow, what happened? Yeah, uh, this is where I was thankful that I I rewatched it, had it recorded, watched it later. I was able to just zoom right through all of that craziness. I would have been frustrated watching it because it was well past my bedtime when that game wrapped up. But luckily, I watched it the next morning. Um, and yeah, I I'll start third quarter where the Clippers have to look back and think that this was one that they let it get away. And now they're stuck in a two hole, which seems to be their favorite spot in these playoffs. So obviously cannot write them out at all yet. Uh, but yeah, definitely had a shot. And in the third quarter, they had kept Booker under check for a really long proportion of this game and Patrick Beverly was getting in his kitchen, headbutted him in the face, uh, gave him a, maybe a broken nose akin to that, that Steve Nash uh, broken nose in, in the 2007 playoffs, but they were doing a great job. And, and he did what a lot of great scorers do. And a lot of great players do is he got to the free throw line in that third quarter and that kept the Suns afloat. And then the fourth quarter um, they were able to really keep it close. And after an, out of bounds review, an offensive foul review, a two, and in the midst of those reviews, two unbelievable shots made by Booker and Paul George. Uh, Booker with the just basically a shooter getting to his spot, going right and just pulling up over Beverly. Great mid range shot. Then Paul George comes out of a timeout the other way. Great step back, too, um, to put the Clippers up one. And then another review where Booker is essentially the ball's poked loose by Beverly. And for the first 45 minutes of the game, um, and basically every game that's ever preceded this, that call always goes Phoenix's way, just because of the fact where even if the microfibers on Booker's finger touches that ball, it is Beverly who is causing that ball to go out of bounds. But when you have review, you obviously have to make the call that is correct. So that goes LA's way. They get to inbound it. And then what do you know? One of the greatest ball don't lie moments ever. Paul George misses both free throws. Playoff P making his arrival (laughs) in a big way. And the Phoenix Suns uh, drop a play made famous by uh, Canada's own Jay Triano 
coach of the year way back. And uh, currently, I think he's a general manager of Canada basketball. An inbounds play, you use Booker as the decoy. He sets a back screen, Aiton, above the rim. There's no offensive interference or offensive goaltending on an inbounds play because you technically can't score a bucket on an inbounds play. So they throw it right above the cylinder, and all he has to do is touch it in. And it was truly a fantastic play, so well drawn up. Works even more effectively when there's a little bit more than 0.3 on the clock, when there's like a 0.7.8, because there is that threat that a guy could catch and shoot it. So you can't just have guys standing around the rim trying to guard it. Um, Excellent pass by Jay Crowder. DeMarcus Cousins should have literally just been blocking that as the option. You'd rather have someone catch and shoot falling away in the corner than that easy lob and um, a great play from the Suns. And they steal that one. And now they have a 2-0 series lead. Chris Paul is looking to be back tonight for game three. Things are trending in Phoenix. And uh, that Suns and four guy is, is bringing a huge energy to that team. It just, it feels like a, a whole vibe there in Phoenix. And that's a city as well. I'm sure is absolutely buzzing right now with the chances of, of their team in these playoffs. Yeah, we had a pretty fun comment. The other, another video on uh, talking about how this team is just cursed, which we can definitely relate to. And it's fascinating, this 2-0 thing with the Clippers, because it really is a back-against-the-wall game. If you lose game three, you're down 3 nothing, and the series is effectively over. So I, I wonder what the nerves are like having done this twice. I'm also reminded of last playoffs where the Nuggets came back twice from down 3-1. They go up against the Lakers. Everyone's like, oh, here we go again, and third time's not the charm yeah it's it's the statistics are not on your side and this is the only difference now is this is a team without Kawhi Leonard whereas before game three Kawhi goes wait a second I'm going to guard Luca I'm going to guard Mitchell and that is going to completely flip this series um Phoenix is a little bit different because they can put the ball in different guys hands obviously Booker's like the guy it seems like but campaign had 29 in this game it was the campaign game and then, of course, you got Chris Paul coming back, who's going to have the entire game on a string. So it, it, it definitely shakier for the Clippers. Obviously, you still can't count them out because we've done it every time so far, and they've just come back and, and won games and been really, really great. Uh, but it, you can only do it so many times before your luck runs out. And I don't think we can move on from that game without at least mentioning DeAndre. And he was also huge throughout the game he had a couple of stretches there where booker was slow where he was able to just take over i mean when he gets the ball in the paint it seems to be a basket 80 percent of the time and defensively he's definitely a bit of a liability against that small ball perimeter spacing style but i think he's sound enough defensively to like cover for it and the offensive benefits they get when they're when the Clippers are running that small ball team is just outweighed so much in Phoenix's favor I think it's really fitting that he's the one who put that game away with a dunk because he campaign Devin Booker for sure huge but um Aiton might have been my MVP for that one for sure yeah he there's only you can only be so quick when you're seven feet, 260 pounds. Right. But he is probably as mobile as someone could be for his size. And then of course, yeah, the huge difference between him and Rudy Gobert is you can actually throw the ball to him and he can put it in the basket by himself. Right. Um, 
he even has a jump shot that he liked to use in the regular season. He's a bit more of a shooter and, and didn't want to really mix it up, but he's really bought in and his size has been such a, such a key factor for the Suns in their run so far. So yeah, big ups to Aiden. I think we're going to move on here uh, to Milwaukee, Atlanta. And uh, again, I don't know how people keep doing this, but they keep counting out the Atlanta Hawks and keep betting on Milwaukee. I don't know if we've talked about, I don't even think we talked about game seven between Atlanta and Philly yet. The only thing I have to say from that is um, Australia found out that Ben Simmons is not going to the Olympics for them. So all I have to say is Ben Simmons better be able to make a jump shot next season, a jump shot from anywhere. Maybe start with a dunk. Yeah. Oh my gosh. was, I was thinking, I was like, he's got, he's got projectile dysfunction because he doesn't get his shots up. (laughs) So the Bucks and Hawks. Yeah. Let's go there. Uh, They still keep counting out this team, man. It's unbelievable because, and, and I think that was, and obviously it's easier to say now, but I, I truly had think thought that the, the Hawks could win this series. Like I was going to pick them. I think they're a great value in terms of betting, but even straight up, I think I would pick this team. The Bogdanovich thing hurts. He looks very immobile, uh, as well as not having DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish as your guys that you could throw at Giannis. Uh, but Giannis does his thing. And then it seems like you're only going to get one at a time between Holiday and Middleton. You're not ever going to have good games from both of them. Um, and that's the way it was uh, last night. Middleton, six of 24. Uh, or 23, I think. And he looked really, really poor. He had an opportunity to tie it at the end of the game and just left it short. Giannis is going to do his thing, of course. And Trey Young, man, he just, he's here for it. He's ready for it. It's, it just keeps getting better and better somehow. He threw an alley-oop off of the backboard in the half-court set in an Eastern Conference Finals road game. Like the audacity, the absurdity, the ridiculousness like i it was awesome i i had to just i i had to mute the tv and just sit there with my jaw on the floor for a solid five to ten seconds going did he really just do that um and then like four plays later just removes drew holiday of all of his like devices and senses shimmies and knocks a three down right in front of like in an opposing arena it was unbelievable so so awesome he is here for it um he actually his floater wasn't super effective in this game the bucks for the most part got away with the drop defense like he made a ton of floaters but overall the percentage wasn't what you would normally expect from trey and that's obviously what the bucks defense was designed to do is they're going to play that drop coverage they were very slow to make that adjustment especially in bobby portis that center it was just it was wide open for Trey all over and over again. Um, a big thing that I noticed is Trey's really good at rejecting screens. And that's why holiday has been ineffective where, and that's where he got that big three was he sets it up as he's going to take the screen and then goes the other way. And holidays all focused on getting around that screen and Trey's going the other way now. Um, and that really opens up the lane for him. Or if he wants to take that shot after a shimmy, like he did, but he's just in complete control of this game. Um, Herder was okay. Bogdanovich, Milwaukee's got to start attacking Bogdanovich because it looks like he can't move right now, but Herder was solid. And then John Collins, a guy who 
people were trying to trade out of Atlanta, at least like the armchair GMs. And he's turned himself into like a very, like a hustle guy. He works hard on defense. He gets a ton of offensive rebounds, a really clutch put back last night, late, late in the game. Um, and yeah, if you're the Bucks, not panic mode yet, but that's a, that's one that you really want to win to settle into the series. They were getting whatever they wanted when they were pick and rolling with Drew and Giannis a bunch of lobs there down the stretch and then they went away from it for some reason. But Trey young with 47 points is truly the story of this game. He's been so, so awesome. Um, If you're the bucks, I think you're going to a Giannis at center look a little bit earlier in the game and, and switching and just trying to cut away his, his uh, downhill momentum. Um, What Atlanta did to combat that is they just started setting the screen higher and higher. So Trey got a bit of a running start, but if you're the bucks, you're either looking to switch it or, no one seemed to trap Trey yet. So maybe that's what you got to start doing is trap Trey Young, get the ball in the hands of a John Collins and make him be the decision maker or a Clint Capella, make him be the decision maker uh, and get the ball out of Trey's hands. I'm surprised teams haven't gone to that yet um, and look for that to maybe be an adjustment. But again, Mike Boldenholzler, who knows if he's going to make any adjustments. Um, I guess the, the last thing I wanted to touch on this game is Marv Albert. Once this series is over, he's retiring and, and it's time. Like he was pretty brutal with some of his calls. He was brutal in the Knicks series, um, but some bad ones tonight where he kept calling threes when it, they were very obviously inside the three-point line um, and, and just struggled with some of his calls there. Uh, and it was very apparent and it ruins the broadcast a little bit. So Marv, you've been great for many, many years, but it's time to ride into the sunset, my friend. <laughs> I'm begging literally every sports streaming service to give us the option to watch games without commentary. It would make viewing pleasure and analysis pleasure so much greater. It's impossible to not have some part of your brain processing the commentary and dealing with it. And when you want to be thinking about how did they get that shot off? You're thinking that wasn't a three, like he said, that was a two. Yeah. I wanted to go back earlier. It was such a pleasure to watch Trey in the first quarter, especially you watched him put together the offense one thing at a time. I think maybe that's when his floater game was most effective. Mm-hmm. I think he started something like eight for 10 from the field and a lot of those were floaters. Mm-hmm. And one of those uh, floaters I think was like a put back against the Bucks, which speaks to the drive the determination the tenacity you're talking about but the float first he started with the floaters then he started hitting his threes then when he starts attacking the pain the assists start coming it it was just pure offensive viewing pleasure and i there was even one play where he guarded Giannis in the post i I couldn't believe what I saw, but Giannis had the ball in the paint. Trey Young was defending him, and Giannis didn't get a bucket. He faded away. I'm sure he's thinking, like, if the wind blows on this guy too hard, he's falling down, and I'm getting on offensive foul. But earlier in this season, the reason we continually counted the Hawks out was just Trey Young's defense is going to be this massive liability. And I was especially looking for it all this game and I really never saw it. It's which is just amazing rotation work, some really hard and fierce play by Young. 
I think you do have to consider his reputation and that's going to change the way guys handle him when they're on offense and he's guarding. But if you're going to flop, I would prefer that to the offensive stuff. So credit to the Hawks and young for figuring out how to make that work. Because if you hadn't, if I didn't know that I wouldn't have guess it from watching that game one. I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast today and he made a great point where we've become a little bit spoiled with the greatness of LeBron James, how he so effectively dissects a game and finds the mismatch where he can attack it over and over again and find that like Trey Young on the court and go at him. And he can do that because he's so brilliant at passing and attacking the rim. Whereas there are not a lot of guys in this league who can do it the way he does it. So for Milwaukee, if you want to attack Trey Young, usually you're involving Pat Connaughton or you're involving PJ Tucker in the offense because that's where Trey is. And Atlanta's more than willing to, to play that because if Trey Young goes and hedges off of like a screen and you're kicking it to Pat Connaughton, you're not, you're not super um, confident that he's going to make that shot every time. Whereas LeBron was usually, usually had a knockdown shooter that he was working that screen with, or they were working it in ways where he could make sure that the hedge stayed on him rather than recovering to their player that was setting the screen. So just it's Giannis, it's true. It's Middleton. They're just not the same level of um, puppeteering, I guess is the word that LeBron does. And so Milwaukee struggles to attack the mismatches in the same way that a Brooklyn could or a LeBron could. And so that's starting to show up. And I think the way that they may have to do it is using just more like off screens and hoping Atlanta switch those to get like Drew Holiday looks in the post against Trey, or you're going one-on-one where you're just attacking Bogdanovich because it looks like he's done. That might be the avenue where you go a little bit more. Um, And hopefully Middleton can recover from his poor first showing. Despite that, I'm betting on a return to means. I don't think Trey Young is going to be able to put up 45 plus points per game. And I think the Bucks offense, for the most part, seem to have their way throughout the game fairly consistently. I do think Milwaukee is going to take this series. All right. Well, I'm done. I'm done. I bet on the Hawks actually against the Knicks. Um, but I'm done going against Trey, man. I think it's just more fun to be rooting him on at this point. Uh, I would be happy for the Bucks too if they made it through, but why not cheer for the underdog in this one? It's like he's just been so much fun to watch. You know what? There's there's no bad storyline here yeah. heading into this finals. Like yeah. Whether it's Trey, Giannis, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, um, Paul George, like you can't the clippers you can't help but be happy like yeah whatever team is gonna win a ring it's gonna be huge yeah it's it's not big in terms of the big big markets or the the national following but for true fans of the nba this is a great final four all right uh i want to move on to the part of the podcast that i was actually most excited to talk about And this is also for the true NBA fans. We had the draft lottery happen on Tuesday night. And it's still growing on me how 
exciting of an opportunity this is for not only the Toronto Raptors, which is the team that we cheer for, and I was over the moon, uh, even with them just moving up into the top four, there was a chance there for a second that they were going to get a, the number one pick. <laughs> um, and I almost lost my mind. But four is still a really great spot. But as well, Detroit, Houston, those two have a com- like a great opportunity to completely change the direction of their, their franchise. Houston losing Harden, who's been so important to them. And they tank all year this year and they're rewarded with a shot at Cunningham or Mobley in the top two. Like you've got to be thrilled as a Rockets fan. Things finally turning around there in Houston. Um, And Detroit, just having the opportunity to select Cade Cunningham, a guy that fits in with almost every team. And I think would just be a great fit with Detroit um, with some of the pieces that they already have in place. That's just awesome for them. They did the most tanking this year and definitely deserve the number one overall pick. Um, And then, yeah, Cleveland's there. They actually might be a trade down candidate based on what I've been hearing. Uh, Orlando's got two in the top eight, five and eight. Uh, OKC actually kind of sucked. They had a potential here to get the number one pick and the number five pick. That would have been best case for them. Uh, Because if that Houston pick had fallen out of the top four, it would have converted to them. But uh, doesn't happen. They get they're stuck with their own pick, which ends up being sixth. So not the best result for them. You could see them maybe as a potential trade up candidate with the huge cachet of picks that they have in their collection. Uh, and then Golden State, I think obviously the best case scenario for them is that pick finishes fourth and it falls to them, but they still have an opportunity to get one of these top four prospects. But uh, they still get two picks in the lottery lottery as well. Cause they lost against Memphis. They finished outside of the picture in the West. So they'll have, uh, I believe the seventh pick and the 14th pick. So two picks in the lottery for them that they could use to move and, and get a piece to win now. Uh, but I really want to talk about the Raptors because obviously that's our team. And obviously they've had some fantastic history with the fourth overall pick, of course, way back. Uh, That was the pick that they made on Antoine Jameson and flipped to Golden State to get Vince Carter, Um, a huge superstar for them, obviously. And then the only other time they've selected fourth, they picked Chris Bosh in 2006, I believe. Yeah, that's the LeBron draft. Or is it 2003? Oh, my God. I can't even remember now. It was a big draft. I feel like Bosh was around a while, but yeah, either way. Good, good spot for the Raptors historically. And now they have the opportunity to get either you imagine Cade goes one and from there, really, you have a chance at Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, who I have talked about all year. And Max, you can attest to this. I am really high on all three of these guys. I think they're all awesome. And just the fact that any one of those guys would fit into this Raptors team as it stands. Uh, I'm just over the moon and Raptors fans got to be so, so happy that we've been rewarded after a terrible year in Tampa. Mobley instantly adds that big that we haven't had now since Gasol and Ibaka left, but also Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs bring incredible uh, playmaking, scoring athleticism in their own rights. Um, If I had to guess, I would probably say Jalen Suggs would be the guy that falls to us at four, which makes... Um, losing Lowry a lot more stomachable if it happens. Um, It also just adds to a great collection of guards that we could continue to roll with. 
uh, having Fred, maybe allowing Fred to be a little bit more of a shooting guard if you're running uh, Suggs as your primary playmaker. Um, and then, of course, we've got Malachi too. So a uh, great option there for the Raptors if that's what it ends up being. Jalen Suggs adds a, a dynamic that we haven't had from a point guard like ever. It's been a lot of pass first guys. And with Jalen Suggs, he's obviously a great playmaker, but he's got an incredible amount of athleticism where he can really pressure the rim, unlike a lot of guards in Raptors history. Um, and, and fans would love that. I think the ideal scenario is that uh, Houston decides we have Christian Wood. We'll go Jalen Green as our guy because he has maybe the highest upside out of everyone in the draft just in terms of pure scoring. And that is what's most important in the league nowadays. And then Cleveland going, uh, we have Jared Allen. Maybe we move out of the third spot uh, or maybe we take Suggs and move one of Sexton or Garland. I don't, you could see them there. It's kind of weird. Maybe they take Kuminga even just at three and, and ignore uh, Suggs and Mobley and then Mobley falls to the Raptors. That would be the dream scenario to have Mobley. Cause I think he is potentially a franchise changing player. It's like, you've got Cade Mobley, I think as your top two, then the two Jalen's are three, four, and then there's a drop to that next pick and the Raptors are in that top four. So no matter what, they're going to have a great prospect and I cannot be more happy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm really excited to get into the draft board part of the season i've likewise been hearing cunningham mobley like almost interchangeable as potential top twos maybe the deeper run by usc giving a bit more I, it was all cunningham earlier and then after march madness started to hear mobley's name tossed around a little more sorry did not get you that autograph bud uh but yeah it's some light at the end of the tunnel for the Raptors with what they've done with Siakam, with Ananobi. We really started to see some of the upside we were hoping for in Flynn in the tail end of that season. It's too early to call it, but if that continues in the next season, that's another huge success story for Raptors scouting and drafting and development. So it's just a wet dream imagining what they could do with the number four pick in a, the most loaded draft in a while. Masai, take us to the promised land. Uh, July 29th, circle your calendar, Raptors fans. Looking forward to it. And we're back, Sports Next Door. Uh, I'm going to do my quick little baseball bit, and then we will tee up uh, the big Canadians game happening very shortly at the time of this recording. Uh, we'll tee that up right before and then do a little bit of time travel after hopefully to get our reactions and maybe we'll have a team going to the Stanley cup final from North of the border. But uh, alas, I will go back baseball, quick talk. Um, Alec Manoa suspended five games for throwing at a batter in the Orioles game uh, that accumulates to just one start. Cause the pitchers only play once every five games. He's going to appeal it. I don't think they'll move it just because like if you move it to less than five games, then he doesn't miss any time as a starter. Um, so I think he'll just take his one start, move on, maybe let some refresh. Cause he's, he's been dinged up a bit in the last couple starts. Um, and then Nate Pearson hurt again. I don't know if we'll ever see him. It just, it shows that the Jays still need to invest in some more arms. Um, George Springer's back. Hasn't got a hit yet since he's been back, but what he does is even if he's not hitting that well right now, it's still, 
he's still a threat. He's still like a once MVP candidate. And so teams still have to respect him. And what it does, it really lengthens out the lineup. One through eight is a really dangerous hitter. If you've got Griel or Biggio hitting eighth, and then you've got your catcher in the nine spot, and Reese McGuire's actually been giving them a little bit of offense, which is more than can be said for the majority of the season. So this Jays lineup is looking really, really solid right now. Um, just need to figure out the bullpen, but things are starting to come together. They're playing a little bit of a weaker schedule right now, and they've won four in a row after another two-game sweep of the Marlins, and they're uh, in Baltimore again tonight against the Orioles, uh, or I think they're in Buffalo at home. Um, and let's see if they can keep it rolling. This is the time to make up some ground in the AL East uh, for the Jays, and, and hopefully they can do that. The last thing I wanted to talk about in this baseball bit was, I don't know if you've seen a couple of these videos, Max, um, but the MLB cracking down on these substances, right? The supposed substances being used by pitchers, um, the spider tack, the, the things like that. And uh, there's now a rule that the managers can have the umpires check a pitcher, I think twice a game now for substances after innings. Um, so Jacob DeGrom's been checked. Scherzer got checked twice. And the second time he started taking off his belt, he was like, yeah, just, just disrobe me. Look wherever you want. And uh, funny clip in the Oakland Athletics game, Sergio Romo took off his pants and put them down around his knees and was just like, here, check me. The pitchers are making a complete mockery of this rule. Um, it's absolute comedy. The MLB cannot get anything right. Uh, and I, it, it's... Obviously, you want to preserve the integrity of the game, but at this point, it's like the, the pitchers are already doing so much to get the batters out. It's not it's not because of the stuff they're putting on the ball. That's been happening forever. Hitters have been like corking the bats. That stuff has just been always part of it. They have to change the actual physical infrastructure of the game. Move the mound back, and that's how you'll get a little bit more offense. So they're just they're focusing on the wrong problems. And it's leading to some funny results, but it's just, it's a, it's a symptom of a truly larger issue going on in the MLB. And so we might see some more clips of guys disrobing on the field, just saying, okay, yeah, you can check whatever you want, but I'm not using anything. So do we have a betting line on who moons the camera first? (laughs) Uh, Well, Scherzer just started yesterday. I I could see Trevor Bauer doing something pretty crazy because he's a guy who's known for being eccentric and making some eccentric moves. So uh, keep your eyes on Trevor Bauer's next start as he could be a candidate to do something a little weird if he gets checked. (laughs) Yeah, are pitchers like the goaltenders of hockey or of baseball? Probably not. But like I was talking with my roommate when he played like private school, like high-level hockey in the States, and he's telling me a story about one goalie played with who like they'd walk into the common like room think like harry potter uh gryffindor lounge and the dude would just be naked all the time so odd <laughs> it's really goalies bad. man if it works you, you just let them do whatever they want um i would say i'd say more the equivalent in baseball would be catchers yeah gotta be a little bit psycho to sit behind the plate and get exactly punished by fastballs and, and stuff like that. So that's probably the comparison I'd make there. That's a good one. That's a good uh, little anecdote there. All right. And segue. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of goalies, we're going to throw right into the talking hockey segment. It is 8.02 PM. The, the Canadians game is going to kick off very shortly. So we are going to hurry things along and talk lightning Islanders really quick here. Um, the lightning just swat aside the Islanders in game five, an absolute eight, nothing thrashing 
Um, everything was rolling for them. Max, you watched this one. So if you want to quickly talk about it, um, kind of what did you see? Yeah, it's like you said, everything was rolling. They just had the puck on a string on their sticks and were able to carry it into the zone consistently. Uh, I watched the first two periods, one and a half periods, while it was still a game. And at some point, four nothing, five nothing, it clearly wasn't. But they were getting bounces. I think two of the first three goals had like a pretty wild bounce, like off an Islanders player through the legs. Uh, another like point shot that got like deflected one way. So game of millimeters for sure. But when you consistently attack the zone with speed, then eventually those bounces are going to go your way. And on the back end, Vasilevsky, just an iron wall, um, turning not letting the Islanders build any momentum. The Lightning looked like they were the number one team in the league in that game, as they often do. And they were on their way to looking that way again in game six, up to nothing. And then the Islanders fight back, almost force of will. You're not taking us out and making this the last game we ever play in this arena. Uh, that backhand by Eberle just magic like now you see me now you don't or the puck on Vasilevsky a pretty harmless looking play I thought but the perfect shot I can't even remember the second goal they scored oh yeah it was an absolute snipe from like a very low percentage scoring zone so kind of two there's nothing here looking plays and suddenly it relatively speaking compared to slot chances one timers and all that fun stuff and suddenly it's a 2-2 game and at that point i feel like the momentum was just so on their side the crowd absolutely losing their minds uh, <laughs> it's nice to have live sports again that's the beauty and of the playoffs right for the islanders you can absolutely get destroyed but if you have another chance, you reset, you go in that game, and that last score doesn't matter. You can completely come back and get a completely different game. It's the beauty of the playoffs or the the struggle of the playoffs if you're Tampa. Um, and that's a great performance for them to put on. Once again, they keep the hopes alive that they can close down their uh, old barn, the Coliseum, with a cup. Uh, the energy there is, it seems like, unmatched. It was really great uh, in Long Island. And if you're the Lightning that's one that got away and now you've got a little bit of pressure. Obviously you have the home game, but it's going to be tight tomorrow night uh, and looking forward to that one. But before that we have game six in Montreal. I wonder, Max, can you hear the bell center from your apartment right now? <laughs> I think so, man. It's crazy out it's here. It's bumping. The only thing I've seen like it is little Portugal in Toronto when yeah. the Portuguese won the Euro cup. Yeah. And the Habs haven't even won anything yet. <laughs> I know. It's uh it'll be it'll be a movie tonight if they win, <laughs> as the youth would say. Montreal's one win away from the cup finals. Who would have thunk it? They've been really great. Uh so many people talking about how you're looking for more from the forwards of Toronto, of Winnipeg, of Vegas, but maybe that's just the fantastic hockey Montreal's been playing, right? They just take away the offense of the other team's forwards and the forwards are designed to score. So if you do that, you're going to have some great success. And Petrangelo has been far and away Vegas's best player, but there's only so much he can do from the blue line. And uh, 
yeah, that's Montreal's just been fantastic. They've continued to get better as the playoffs have gone along. Um, they took a while to warm up and now they're really hitting their groove. Uh, it looks like Laner is going to be the goalie tonight in game six for Vegas, uh, as of right now. So they do not trust Flurry. Um, he made a couple blunders these last two games and it's really cost them. So I don't blame them for going to Leonard. He was fine in, in game four. Uh, and, and they're going to need another solid performance from him. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Uh, Max, anything left from this game before we go watch it? Man, it's been such a back and forth series. Uh, different parts in different times. I've thought one team or the other was clearly the better team. Uh, you go back to, was it game three? The There was one game that really got away from the Golden Knights where they outshot the Habs something like 30 to nine over the first two periods. Really should have won that one. And maybe that's the difference between those these two teams. Uh, game five, the Habs clearly just the better team everywhere. You've got to think Carey Price is in the head of the forwards. And that's these Canadians. They can be the worst team for a lot of the hockey game, generate less scoring chances, have way more pressed against them, have the knife at their throats, but always fight back, never give up that last inch and find a way to win the team that can do that on their worst night is also going to go and have their good nights. And that's the series so far. We'll see what happens. Game six. I it's the punch counter punch makes me hope for an awesome game seven, but I kind of want to hear how loud the city can get tonight. If the Habs win it at home. And when we are back, we will have an answer to that. And we're back, or rather, I'm back. Owen's gone to bed, but the Montreal Canadiens are going to the Stanley Cup Finals, getting the win over the Vegas Golden Knights, 3-2 on the goal by Arteri Lekkonen in overtime. Uh, I don't know if the mic's going to pick this up, but the city of Montreal is going absolutely wild right now. I was just walking downtown. The people are everywhere. Cops are everywhere trying to keep it chill. But like the horns are honking, people on the streets, everyone's celebrating, having a good time. The city is electric. Uh, quick thoughts on the game. Um, Carey Price, man. I, whatever's, when there's even play, and each team has a chance. He seems to shut the door nine times out of 10, unless it's a perfect opportunity. You saw that tonight. It took tips, redirections, uh, rebounds, nothing clean, nothing easy. Lekkonen gets the goal on a one-time shot just outside the slot. You saw one minute into overtime, the Golden Knights have a similar opportunity from a similar position on the ice. I think it was March or so, or no, it was Pacioretty who took the shot. And Price, I'd hardly even held my breath. Price shuts the door effortlessly. Montreal on the rush. They've been doing all series in, score a goal, out. Man, this team just has so much belief in themselves. They don't give up. They know Price is going to give them a shot anytime they can get goals on any line. Uh, Lekkonen getting it done tonight, but Caulfield scoring earlier. That Perry Staller Mia line still leading the team in points, I believe. Uh, they were underdogs against the Leafs. It, I 
they were underdogs against a Jets team that had swept the Oilers for nothing. They were underdogs against the Golden Knights that were supposed to be one of the best teams in the league. They get done in six. I don't know yet if they'll be playing the Islanders or the Lightning, but it's 50-50. They can't be the underdogs, whoever they play at this point. It's going to be a fantastic Stanley Cup Finals. I'm so excited. Uh, till then, Sports Next Door signing out.